and welcome to Yoga for the Revolution, a show about self-care in the age of resistance. Let's go back to once upon a time when we were talking about the goal of yoga and the obstacles to liberation. It's good to keep this in mind as we enter the holiday season in full force. What if our goal were not to obtain anything? but to achieve samadhi through the removal of obstacles. Patanjali's Yoga Sutra says, the goal of yoga is not to obtain something that is lacking, it is the realization of an already present reality. Yoga practice removes the obstacles that obstruct the experience of samadhi or the state of complete absorption. Removing the obstacles that obstruct the experience of complete absorption. So what are these obstacles? A cluttered closet, a too long to-do list, a messed up subway system, the patriarchy? Maybe, but Patanjali was thinking more broadly than that and also more internally than that. The means to liberation, according to Patanjali, is to remove the five obstacles or kleshas. These are ignorance, egoism, attachment, aversion, and clinging to life. We talked about ignorance. If you wanted to go back and listen to that one, episode 41, egoism in episode 44, and most recently, desire, raga, in episode 45. And now let's move from desire to aversion, the other side of that coin. There are plenty of things in this world every day we don't want ranging from the trivial to the more dire. I don't want to go to that meeting. I don't want Mexican food for dinner. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want people to look at their phones while trying to walk up the subway stairs. So that's fine, right? Just like it's fine to like things or desire things, it's fine to not like things or not want them. That's discernment. That's personality. That's the human condition. The issue comes not with the fact that we don't like certain things, but with the attachment to that aversion. Meaning we tend to define ourselves based not only on what we like, but also what we don't like. This is basically what being a teenager is all about. We decide what we like and what we don't like, and then we define ourselves and the whole world around us based on those likes and dislikes. So that's one problem. And we see that a lot, especially... In the news these days, we in the United States, and this is happening all over the world as well, are incredibly divided, and we're divided by what we like and dislike. I like small government and tax breaks and the idea of the self-made man. I don't like handouts or ungrateful, unpatriotic people, or to accept that anyone other than old white guys have a place in this country and have really specific and important value to bring in the world. Just, you know, for example... And another more personal problem with this attachment or identification with our desires and our aversions is that we as individuals are constantly bouncing back and forth between the two, like bumper bowling. I like this. I hate this. I am really obsessed with this thing. I cannot stand this other thing. It is like hashtag obsessed and hashtag can't even. Never mind that I said that. It's hashtag old person embarrassing. But we are, as humans, attracted to things and repulsed by other things. Evolutionarily speaking, it's a brilliant way to survive. And philosophically speaking, no way to live. If we ride the middle, being neither repulsed or attracted, we can ostensibly stay focused and achieve our goals. 
whether that is liberation or electing a Democratic Congress or maybe even just one that's less handsy. Attraction and aversion become distractions from that goal because we become obsessed with them and we identify ourselves and the rest of the world based on what we like and don't like. I'll pause here to say thank you for liking Yoga for the Revolution. I'm only assuming you are not repulsed by the show because you are in fact listening to it right now. If you haven't already, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Pocket Casts. Please do rate the show if you're so inclined. I mean, I guess you could be hate listening, but that seems like an unusual way to spend your time. You can always find all our back episodes and all our future episodes on yogafortherevolution.org. You can talk to me on Facebook at facebook.com slash yogafortherevolution or follow on Twitter at y underscore f underscore t underscore r and look for yoga for the revolution on instagram as well right now you can get free shipping on orders over 45 dollars at our threadless shop when you use the code cheer d31 e17 it's a good thing you don't have to remember that code it's also posted on our threadless shop page you can find that at yoga for the revolution.threadless.com. And if you don't know what Threadless is, you should check it out because they have amazing stuff, not just my stuff, which I happen to like, but other stuff by other artists and people who are making some awesome things. And they put all those awesome things on t-shirts and mugs and notebooks. If you're into gifting season, consider Yoga for the Revolution t-shirts and sweatshirts. They are available. They have different sayings on them. You'll like some of them and not like others. So how does a virgin show up in our everyday life? And what's the big deal? And what do we do about it? One way this comes up for a lot of us is this constant oppression by the things we must do and our coinciding aversion to doing those things we think we have to do. So here's a fun game. What if instead of thinking you have to do something, you thought, I get to do this thing? It's not a game, nor is it actually that fun, but I do think it's interesting, right? It's an interesting way of thinking about things you normally just assume. I don't have to lead this presentation. I get to lead this presentation. I don't have to pick my kids up at school. I get to pick up my kids at school. So hang with me here. I know it doesn't always work like that. And you know that I am not a like positive vibes only kind of person. I'm an all the vibes person. What I'm saying is, listen, pay attention. Why are you averse to this situation? Being able to decipher what you want and need from what your ego wants and needs is a big deal. That feeling of like, oh, I don't want to go to work. Why? Because I have a meeting and I'm afraid it won't be received well. Okay, that's one answer. Oh, I don't want to go to work. Why? Because I work with Charlie Rose. Okay, that's something different. So I'm not saying don't ever be averse to anything. I think we all know that smiling politely through life doesn't really get us where we need to be. I'm saying if you are feeling discomfort, listen to it, investigate it, figure out where it's coming from and why. 
If you're truly unsafe in a situation, then that aversion was a good defense mechanism. You can move forward with that new and conscious recognition of information. If that discomfort is coming from fear of a damaged ego, then that's something else. That's something worth working through. Okay, so here's an example from my life. Kripalu used to have a seva program. Kripalu, if you don't know, is a yoga retreat center in Western Mass. It's the largest, I think, in uh, North America, the largest residential facility of its kind. It used to be a Jesuit facility, and then in the early 80s became Kripalu, which at the beginning was an ashram with a guru and the whole thing, and now is much more of a retreat and education kind of place. And seva means selfless service, service for others for which you expect no return. So they used to have a program where you could go and live and work for a week or two or longer. And if you were there for longer, you could join what they called the spiritual lifestyle program. And basically you live and work there, which I did. I worked in the kitchen and I lived in a dorm with 30 other women and practiced and studied yoga. I did this for three months in 2002, I think. It was an amazing program, basically an in-house yoga work-study program where you just live and breathe the life and philosophy of yoga. Why am I bringing this up? Because I'm nostalgic and I love to remember those times where my biggest responsibility was to sort silverware. Not really. There's something about Kripalu food, this feels like an aside, but I'll get there. There's something about Kripalu food. It's amazing. It's delicious. And also it can be really heavy, especially back then. I mean, this is 15 years ago. So now it's catered a little bit more for a sophisticated audience, but then it was like a lot of rice and a lot of tofu. And I was, because of that, in part, a little bit heavier, nothing bonkers. And I was also working in the kitchen, which meant I was like lifting apple crates all day and I was kind of oddly bulking up in a way that was, I mean, probably very healthy, but I, as a young woman, found to be less than desirable. I remember when I saw my parents after those three months, they kind of thought I looked like Andre the Giant. Anyway, uh, Kripalu had this tiny little gym at the time. They have since expanded it, but I'd get up before yoga or before breakfast and I would run on the treadmill. And part of it was this feeling that I was feeling like, super grounded and super heavy and I wanted more movement in my day and part of it was that I was so healthy that I had all of this energy and I just didn't know what to do with it you know living clean working hard and I also lived in the top bunk and there was a woman who was in the top bunk across from mine and we would both wake up in the morning and then you're kind of just like staring at each other near the ceiling and she used to journal every morning and we'd both be awake in what was like a little tree house and she would journal and I would kind of just groan about having to get up and go to the gym. Oh, I have to go to the gym. This sucks. I don't want to, but I really should. That's a clue to listen for the should. And my bunk neighbor finally said to me one day something like, you like going to the gym. Like you always feel good after. You really like going for a run. You don't have to do it. You could just not do it. You like to do it. And I was kind of stunned. And this was 15 years ago, and I still think it's the smartest thing anyone has ever pointed out to me. And I've extrapolated that thought out over the years. Whenever I hear I should, to me, that's my clue. For every should, there's an opportunity to learn a little bit more about yourself. 
Should means there are options. Usually you have a choice. Oh, I should get Jeanette a going away present, right? Should means you could, you don't have to. Like what would happen if you didn't get Jeanette a going away present? And what would happen if you did? So what happens if you don't do what you should? And what happens if you do? This in my mind is really what the aversion thing boils down to. I don't want to go to the gym, but I should. Why? Why should you? And why don't you want to? For me, in that case, well, I say I should, but I don't want to, but really I do want to. I also want to stay in bed. But for the most part, I feel good when I do this thing, and I feel not as good when I don't do this thing. So somehow by focusing on the part of that thing that I actually enjoy, I was able to overcome that specific aversion. Does that make sense? Again, this doesn't work for everything, but it does work for more things than you might initially think. Monday morning, ugh, I don't want to go to work. Don't you though? Because it feels good to be part of something, because you get a chance to interact with other adult humans and maybe even share and exchange ideas and collaborate or be productive in another way and get things done. And also they pay you there, which is fantastic. So there may be a part of you that wants to stay in bed, but why give that part all the control? This also happens if you go to a yoga class itself, if you go to an asana class, if you're in a pose and the teacher is holding it longer than you like, oh, why are we still holding this? This is dumb or whatever. This discomfort happens all the time. And we usually do one of two things. We succumb to it. We zone out in a pose or we come out of it early or we ignore the discomfort and push through it hold longer, flex harder, do another vinyasa because we should. So we either succumb to the aversion and don't do the thing, or we immediately push through the aversion because we think we should. But there is another option, which is to stop. Notice the discomfort. Notice the aversion. Name it. Say it. Say, man, I do not like holding this pose for this long. Why is that? Do my arms hurt? Maybe. Are they going to fall off? Probably not. And you take all of this information into account before you decide what to do, if anything. Usually, almost always, almost always, the best thing to do is to take a deep breath. Give yourself some space to feel the discomfort, feel the aversion before letting it run the show. Until next time, keep breathing and live to fight another day.